three elements that will maximize your Christmas experience. And I just want to look, and these messages are always a little different than what we usually do, because usually we're in a book, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going through verse by verse. And so around Christmas time, we kind of take a break from that and do some topical things. But this morning, if you look over at Psalm 22, I just want to read this for us, and then we'll um, just uh, go through it kind of loosely, not in any detail. But we want to look at three elements that will maximize our Christmas experience. Psalm 22, Psalm 122, excuse me, Psalm 122, Song of David, says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek you're good. Father, we pray this morning that you would open your heart, our hearts to your word, that you would show us how to practically make the most of this time of season. And Lord, it's a busy time for many. It's a, it's a dreadful time for many. And Lord, we just pray that you would keep us focused on what's important and keep us distracted from what's not. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think one of the reasons that there's such a difference in the way people look at Christmas is because there's a lot of different expectations when it comes to this time of year. Uh, and expectations run very high. Every Christmas has to be the best Christmas. You don't want a Christmas, you know, you're done with Christmas, and you look, at the end of the day you go, ah, it wasn't it better last year? I mean, every year you want to have the best Christmas that you possibly can, the best way to celebrate the coming king. And the truth is that Every Christmas can't be the best Christmas in reality. But I think if we put into practice these three things we're going to talk about this morning, you're going to find out that you can have a great Christmas, that that experience can be a positive one. Um, The value of your Christmas is measured a lot of times by quantity. Uh, And some years are going to be better than others. But if the value of your Christmas is measured by the season itself, by what it means, and your participation in it, every year, I think, can be better than the last. Um, We talked a little bit about Advent and uh, our participation in the Advent wreath this year. Advent means the coming of the Lord. That's all that means. It's Latin, and it means the coming And it's a season when we celebrate the coming of our Savior, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can throw all the other commercial stuff away if you miss anything. Don't miss that, that this time of year is about the coming King, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't worship the baby, Jesus. That's not what we do. We worship the reigning, ruling Lord and King. Some people say, well, was it on the 25th that Jesus was born? December 24th. No. Probably not. Most likely not. 
Um, Christmas has been celebrated on December 25th since the second century. And there's probably a chance of 365 that he was born on that day. In other words, we really don't know. Even scholars have kind of narrowed it down to some say the springtime, and, but they don't really know. We're not given a day. And I think we're not given a day for that very reason. We would idolize that day. But you have to understand the early Christians, the first ones who celebrated Christmas on December 25th, they did it because it was the day of winter solstice. It's a pagan holiday, really. All of Rome was involved in celebrating that season, the winter solstice. And I think that we have to remember that when we we look at this time of year, it's not about the winter solstice. You say, well, then why would they celebrate it? Well, it was their way of being able to gather together as Christians because everybody was celebrating the winter solstice. They could gather together as Christians without the fear of persecution, and celebrate the coming king. Celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everybody else was celebrating anyway. So they didn't really stand out because back then they could have come under persecution for that. Fierce persecution. And so they were trying to not draw attention to themselves. And so they thought, well, let's just adopt this holiday and we'll do our thing and let the pagans do their thing. Uh, December 25th, according to one emperor, was declared the birthday of the unconquered sun, S-U-N, the unconquered sun. And yet it's kind of unique that Christians picked the 25th to really celebrate God coming down to earth, putting himself in a body, taking on the nature of a servant, humbling himself, obediently yielding himself eventually to the Death on a cruel cross. Really, from the world's perspective, he looked like he was conquered, not unconquered. (laughs) But we know the end of the story. We know that he came back, that he rose from the grave on the third day, and now he reigns for eternity at the right hand of God. But see, in the early century of time, people couldn't freely celebrate Christmas like we do today. I mean, we feel a little bit of that you know, as far as political correctness out there, but nothing like they had back then. And yet they felt compelled to celebrate the birth of the king, even in the face of opposition, even when they had to do it in secrecy. And you say, well, why is that? Well, I think it's because it's a celebration of Christmas. It's not just a solitary event. It's not something you can really celebrate by yourself. It's more of a communal event. It's more of people gathering, families gathering, churches gathering together. Christmas is best celebrated when it's celebrated with others. That's usually the case. And today we want to look at this approach to the Christmas season with a sense of wonder and appreciation and fascination, but also a sense of determination to experience this season, this next couple weeks, in such a way that it brings not only light into our lives, but it also enables that light to be seen by others. Today we're going to talk a little bit about this season and what it means about not celebrating Christmas by yourself. Solitude. 
I mean, solitude has its place in Christianity, doesn't it? I mean, sometimes God says, you know, you just need to be still and know that I am God. It's hard to do that when you're talking with other people. So sometimes God wants us to get alone and be by ourselves. And we're going to, we know that to be true. But when you look at Psalm 22, look at the first verse. He said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. See, among Christians, a common distinction between those who are thriving in their spiritual life and those who are struggling in their spiritual lives, really, you can dial it in to one thing. I say nine times out of ten, somebody who's struggling in their spiritual life is struggling with their church. They're struggling something about their church. They're struggling in their relationship to the church. It may not even be an individual church. It may be the church at whole. Whenever I meet a disgruntled Christian or a bitter Christian, and you've met him too, I know almost with certainty that it's going to come down to at some point in their life, someone within the church disappointed them or abused them or something happened within the local church to turn them so far away from God that they won't have anything to do with it. Now, we know that churches aren't perfect. Um, if you find a perfect church, someone said, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Okay. And, and, that's, and that's true. As a matter of fact, I think this church was perfect before I got here. And then, you know, things went downhill from there. But no. But, you know, that's true. You know, we, we don't want to uh, think that, oh, the church is perfect. It can't be perfect because it's made up of what? It's made up of, of sinners who've come to Christ and are still struggling with sin. Sometimes even on a daily basis. And yet, even though the church is not perfect, we have to understand that we are the presence of God here in this community. That's what we are. That's what God has called us to be. Eugene Peterson talked about how the church is God's venue of choice. He acknowledged that when we come together on Sunday morning, some of us don't want to be here. We sing songs that some of us don't like. And the preacher preaches a sermon that sometimes doesn't pay much attention, nobody pays attention to. And the group tends to be inconsistent in their promises and habits. But he says this, the people in those pews are also people who suffer deeply and find God in their sufferings. They make love commitments, are faithful to them through trial and temptation and bear fruit that bless the people around them. You know, it's important for us to understand that the church is God's method of choice. That's his venue. That's what he wants to work through. It's not perfect. But it is where we best experience God. Because God wants our life to be a life of community. He doesn't want us to live an isolated Christian life. But he wants us to live a life lived with others. That's what you see in the, the New Testament book of Acts. The New Testament church. What did they do? I mean, daily, it says. They broke bread. They prayed. They worshipped. They sang songs. They were under the teaching of the word of God. I remember when I was in college, down at Christian Heritage College in San Diego, the first winter there, um, my brother-in-law and sister said, hey, we're going to send you a ticket so you can come home for Christmas. 
I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm spending it in California. This is going to be cool. I'm going to spend it by myself. And they said, no, we'll say you. It won't cost you anything. We're going to, nope, I'm going to spend it all by myself. So sure enough, Thanksgiving came and went. And uh, Christmas came. And I remember waking up Christmas morning in my dorm room. I was the only person in the dorm, let alone my dorm room. I mean, I was it. Nothing, no kitchen staff, nothing. You know, got up, took a shower. I remember walking down to the, the kind of the living place there where they have the candy machines and the, the, the games and all that stuff. And I'm, I'm looking at the vending machine, thinking, what am I going to eat? And, you know, and I'm thinking, this probably wasn't the best idea. But I remember one of the friends in the church there who had had me over for Thanksgiving because they didn't go home for Thanksgiving either. Um, they invited me for Christmas dinner. And I remembered when I went for Thanksgiving dinner at this individual's house, he told me, he goes, now my brother, he's not a Christian, and, you know, so just get ready. It's, it's really, it's, it's just, inc- you know, it's just a very tense time in our family this time of year. And I'm thinking, okay. His, his, his family was Christian, but his brother would come in with his, his wife and their kids, and they weren't believers at all. And I thought, well, okay, why does it have to be so tense? Well, all I had to do was sit down at the <laughs> Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, you know, I met his brother. He seemed like a nice guy. I mean, everything was fine. And we sat down, and uh, my friend uh, kind of looked over, and he winked at me. I'm thinking, okay, what's, what's this about? And uh, he goes, well, I'm, I thought I would read some scripture before the meal. Uh, some scripture of Thanksgiving. And all of a sudden, his brother's countenance just changed. And he's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. we got to do this again. That's it. I just, and they just started this huge, like, fight. And the family stormed off into another part of the house. The, the wife and the, the, I mean, the kids were crying. It was horrible. And then he read his verse of Thanksgiving. <laughs> and the father prayed and we ate. And, and they had leftovers, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of beelined it out of there after I got my food. It was just very awkward. And I remember him telling me afterwards, see what I mean? I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I think that maybe you played a little part of this, you know? And so I I gave him some advice. And I kind of just said, you know, sometimes you need to just back off. Rather than setting up the whole thing to be this, you know, it's fine to have your faith and everything. But if you know that this greatly offends your brother." Because he was just turned off by church in general. And he didn't really have, you know, a lot, but he, 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 he was just turned off by the church somewhere along, I don't know if it was parents or whatever. And I remember telling my friend, I said, look, at Christmas time, because they invited me back for Christmas, and I just thought, oh, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to go to the beach at La Jolla and eat a cheese sandwich or something. You know, I'd rather do that. Than... But I ended up going over there. And you know what? He did change the way that he dealt with his brother. He really did. And uh, he, he, he basically reached out to him, and he just let his dad say a little prayer, and he didn't, you know, he didn't really compromise anything. But he wasn't overbearing with his Christianity to the point where his brother ran out of the room pulling his hair out. And sometimes holidays are just that tense among families. People come together to celebrate, and pretty soon, you know, boy, the wheels fall off the cart down the coffee shop the other day, and I was sitting there waiting for my wife to come, 
I'm just reading the paper. And all of a sudden, I mean, this couple just starts getting into it. And I'm not just talking, I mean, and like big time. I mean, there's nobody else in there. I mean, me and maybe a couple people, you know. And I'm like, did they not think I'm sitting right here or what? You know, I'm like burying myself further and further into my newspaper. I mean, I, I felt so bad for them. And it started out, they were just going to play cards. And then she, boy, it just boom, escalated pretty soon. She's like crying. He stomps off and she chases him and it's raining out. And, you know, he's behind the wheel of this truck and she jumps in and he whips out, almost hits a car. And, oh, it was horrible. And I thought, boy, what a horrible way to start off the season. But you know what? There's a lot of tension in the air. And there's a lot that people have certain expectations about this time of season, and they go unmet. And so when they go unmet, what happens? They basically get angry. They get frustrated. So as we approach this Christmas season, I want to encourage you to take the attitude that David had. Rejoice whenever you have the opportunity to enter the house of the Lord. See, there's going to be some busy weeks ahead of you. You've got company picnics and dinners and all sorts of stuff. And you know what? You can find yourself looking at church as, oh, man, i got to go to church. Oh, we're having a group, or we're, we're having this, or oh, we got the dinner coming up. Oh, i got to go to that. And all of a sudden, the whole joy is just sucked out of you because it's a have-to attitude instead of a want-to. And that first verse says there, I rejoiced. With those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I mean, we need to really stop and remind ourselves that it is a privilege to be able to come to a local body of believers and sit in a nice, comfortable chair and and to to worship God with music and hymns and songs and, and to open up God's word and have it taught in a way that hopefully it applies to you and it encourages you. I mean, that's a real privilege. We don't understand that because we live in America. But I want you to Understand that in order for you to have that kind of an attitude of rejoicing, that there's three basic ideals, three elements that's going to help not only your Christmas experience, but I think it will help your church experience as well. I asked a uh, homeless guy one time, I was talking to him, I was down at a concert and I was talking to him and... and uh, trying to share the Lord with him a little bit, and he was drinking a little bit, you know, and didn't have anything but whatever he had on his back, and talking to him, and and I asked him, I said, do you go to church anywhere? Oh, I don't go to church. And I said, why? He said, churches, all they want is my money. And I'm looking at this guy scratching my head like, pal, obviously you don't have any money. Why do you, you know, it it was just really weird. And yet, that's how a lot of people view church, because something in their life has turned them off. But when we come together as God's imperfect people, we have to understand that we're abundantly blessed in the Lord. And the first thing, the first ideal that we want to adopt this holiday season is one of unity. One of unity. Can you imagine if you had to live in the first century and your church sometimes received a letter from the Apostle Paul. If you look in the, the, the uh, Romans with me, look at Romans chapter 16, because this is kind of interesting that when Paul would write these letters, can you imagine 
someone coming in here this morning and unraveling a scroll and saying, hey, this is from the Apostle Paul. Let me read it to your church. It's a personal letter. That's how these were penned. That's what they were meant for. You know, they weren't compiled in a book yet. There were just a group of believers gathered together in a house probably and the courier would come in and say, hey, this is from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And sometimes his letters included personal remarks. <laughs> just like sometimes our missionary letters include personal remarks as they write letters to us. And usually he spoke very highly of these people. Look at what he says in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16 of Romans. I commend, you, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Centuria, Centuria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and also myself. That's a pretty positive statement. Phoebe's probably feeling pretty good about herself. Look at verse 3. He said, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Greet Ampilus, my beloved in the Lord. And he goes on. Verse 10. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. And it goes on. He lists these names. I mean, can you imagine how you'd feel if you're sitting there, you had a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he's, the courier's in front of the church, and they're reading this letter, and your name is mentioned in that venue? And it's like, wow, he really appreciates me. How would it be if Paul mentioned you in one of his letters? Would it be that great? Maybe, maybe not. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. Remember, these are letters that are read right in front of the people. Can you imagine if you were these two folks, Euodia and Syntyk? He says in verse 2, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyk, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Wow. Little bit of a rebuke there from the Apostle Paul. I mean, can you imagine? You know, these, these two individuals probably slouching down their seats a little bit. These two people were mentioned by name in the best-selling book of all time. But unfortunately for them... The only thing we know about them is they had some petty disagreements that couldn't be resolved. I mean, wouldn't it be ashamed if that's how we're remembered? About 600 years ago, Thomas Kempis wrote this, If Christ is among us, then it is necessary that we sometimes yield up our own opinion for the sake of peace. Who is so wise as to have perfect knowledge of all things? Therefore, trust not too much in your own opinion, but be ready to hear the opinion of others. I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear that, but I just feel it right here in my gut. You know, sometimes we think we know best about everything. Well, that's not the case. The writer of Hebrews said something in a similar way. 
in a similar twist in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, Make every effort to live in peace with who? With all men. And be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The first element of unity is so important that if you don't have unity among the brothers and sisters in Christ, there's the presence of unholiness. That's what that verse indicates. It says, live at peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's a pretty stark statement. There's something more important than being right all the time. There's something more important than winning every argument. King David said it this way in Psalm 133, verse 1. He said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and you can say sisters, live together in unity. And as you look at the text today in verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 122, it says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. See, God is pleased when his people get along. We can't all be right all the time. That's impossible. But you know what? We can live together in unity, and we can accept the differences that we have with one another. And I pray that this holiday season, this Christmas season, as we embark upon the celebration of the King of Kings that brought the possibility of unity to us, that we look at our personal relationships, we look at our marriages, we look at our family, our friends. We look at the body of Christ. We look at Grace Bible Church. And we say, I'm going to do everything I can to maintain unity. See, this isn't something that we work at. The Bible says we already have unity. We have unity in Christ. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a bond with each other. And what we're called to do, Paul says it over and over again, is protect that bond of peace, that that unity that exists between us. Because the enemy is going to be throwing all sorts of darts at us all the time, trying to break up the unity factor within the church. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's not that hard to do. But when we live by the Spirit and we're focused on the things of the Spirit, I think that God will control us in such a way that that it will come almost naturally in the Spirit. So the first thing there is unity. Maybe you don't have unity in your family. Maybe you have issues with your kids or your wife or whatever. Seek to resolve it. Don't hold on to that stuff. It's not worth it. I mean, so many times, you know, you're holding on to a grudge or you're holding on to something, and you know what? The person you're holding that grudge against... It's not even in their mind. It's not even in their realm of experience to be thinking about you. And yet, it's keeping you up night after night after night, you know. It's not worth it. You just need to bring it to Christ and you need to say, God, heal this pain that I feel. Help me move on. Well, secondly, not only unity, but secondly, worship. It says there in verses 3 and 4 that it's built like a city, Jerusalem is, that is closely compacted together together. That where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, why do they do that? To praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given in Israel. You know, the, the, the biggest prayer that I have for this church, and for any church, is that it becomes a true house of worship. 
That when you come here, you understand that you're coming here not just to, you know, fellowship with each other. That's good. That's okay. And you're not even just coming to hear the word of God proclaimed. To learn something from a sermon. I mean, that's a good reason to come. You're not coming just to get your spiritual battery charged up for another week out there in the the darkness of the world. That's a good reason, but I pray that that's not the only reason. I mean, hopefully you get all three of those things, but I, I pray that the best reason you understand for us coming together on Sunday morning is for worship. It's for worship. There's something very powerful waking up Sunday morning and saying, God, for the next couple hours, it's not about me. It's not about me. All the baggage that I brought with me today, I mean, you know what, I'm going to leave it at the door. Better, I'm going to leave it at the cross. Leave it in Christ's hands. And here with your people, I want to turn my eyes. I want to focus my thoughts in my heart toward you. And even if I don't do anything else right this week, I pray that this morning I can spend this time worshiping you. In the Bible, there's several words that are used for the word worship. But if, you, if, you're, if you're under misunderstanding what worship is, here's a simple definition. Worship is to honor and adore the living God. It's honor and adoration that is directed to God and God alone. Not an individual, not a person, not a group of people. Two of the words that are used in the New Testament are particularly noteworthy, interesting. One literally means to kiss toward or to kiss the hand of, to bow down. It's the word for worship used to signify humble adoration. The second word in the original language suggests rendering honor or paying homage. And both terms really carry the idea of giving because worship is giving something to God. See, we we have it all backwards today. In the modern church, we think that the worship service is made up of the music. You've got to have a great band. You've got to have a catchy song. You've got to have a, a good little speaker that can get up there for 10, 15 minutes and, and energize everybody. And that's, boy, that's, that's a good worship service. Well, that's not necessarily true. They didn't have any of those things in the New Testament. Not one. So when we talk about worship, we're not talking about coming to a place and getting something. Strike that from your mind. We're talking coming to a place, a house of worship, and giving something to God. Unfortunately, modern-day Christianity is all focused on getting. And God does, obviously, give to us abundantly, doesn't he? I mean, he's given us salvation. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He gives us daily grace to get through the grind of life. But we really need to focus on, on worship in a way that we understand that it's giving to God.
you look over in John 14, one thing that we need to focus on when we understand what what true uh, worship is is the idea that, that God has left us here for a purpose, and that purpose is to worship him. Truly to worship him. He doesn't want us to be so focused on this world that it distracts us from our true task of worshiping him. Look at John 14, just the first couple of verses there. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am, you're going to be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. See, the one thing that God didn't want us to think is that he abandoned us here on this earth. Because that's not, that's not true. He left us with his Holy Spirit. He left us with his word. He wants us to know that he cares intensely for our relationship with him. And I think that it's, it's just an important point that when it comes to worshiping God that we understand that it's not just about the music, it's not just about the message, it's not just about saying hi to each other and, and wondering how, how things are, are going. But it's, it's really about focusing on what are we going to give to God when we come to worship him. We need to offer everything we can to our community outside these four walls to hopefully give them a picture of a loving, gracious God and to share with them the gospel. But the first and foremost thing that we have to understand is that we're a house of worship. That's what God has called us to be. So when we come together, let's focus on giving to God and give Him everything we have. And I'm not talking money. I'm talking your time, your talent, your treasure, everything. And it's especially crucial during Christmas season. Because we get so busy with other things, we get distracted. And pretty soon everything's crowding out our time of coming together and worshiping in the house of the Lord. So many times, a lot of churches have, you know, they'll have Christmas cantatas and Christmas performances and everything, and these churches work on these things almost year-round sometimes, good six months of the year. There's nothing wrong with those things. I mean, they're, they're a blessing to the, the community, they're a blessing to the church itself. But the one thing that I notice about those things is, is they take time. They take energy. They, they sap everybody who's involved, basically, of everything they have. And so many times when the performance is over and everything's done, so many times the people will sit back and say, well, good thing that's over. You know, not in a negative way necessarily, but it was just such a burden upon them. And so we need to kind of be reminded of that sometimes, even in a smaller church, because we can even gripe about coming out to a 
a group meeting or a dinner or whatever, well, you know, it takes away from, well, you know, you need to check your heart's attitude. Are you focused on unity? Are you focused on really giving? Are you focused on worshiping? That's what we're called to do. Third thing, he says there, uh, it says in Luke, let me say this, chapter 2, verse 14, you hear this a lot around Christmas time. Glory to the highest, glory to God in the highest, and on peace, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The third thing that I want you to understand is that there's such a thing as having goodwill toward men. And why not have it within the body of Christ? Goodwill toward men. The, fr- the phrase really describes the coming of our Savior in this world. And it should describe our attitude toward others as well. Uh, in this psalm, David speaks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We read that earlier. In verses 8 and 9, he says, For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Can you imagine what would happen to the local church if we really began to pray for peace for one another? If we really began to seek prosperity for one another? I mean, it's so important. I think of, of my friend at the, the Christmas dinner, at the Thanksgiving dinner, when he just, you know, he meant well, but he just caused so much problems. And yet he learned a lesson from that. He was willing to change what he was trying to do. And I remember that after that Christmas dinner, because he wasn't so overbearing with his faith, I guess I should say. I mean, his brother heard it all before. He wasn't so overbearing with his faith that we actually had a great talk afterwards. We sat in the living room, and and his brother even brought up the subject of church, and we talked about some of his disgruntled ideas about the church, and, and, you know, we were able to have a a little bit of ministry to his brother. Uh, Family get-togethers among Christians sometimes can be very tense. Romans 12 18 says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, beloved, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. Don't take that jab. Don't say that comment if it's not going to build that person up or encourage that person. Somehow restrain, ask God to restrain you from your critical spirit. And we all deal with this. I mean, this isn't something that we get under control. This is something that we we deal with on a continual basis. And my friend actually turned his whole attitude around and did the exact opposite of what he did at Thanksgiving. And we had such a better time with his family and with with his brother. And it all was based not on his brother's attitude. His brother came with the same attitude he had before. But it was the way his brother dealt with him interacted with them. And I think we need to be reminded that sometimes we create the tension. We're not to be a source of tension. Well, at the end of that psalm there in verse 9, it says, For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I seek your prosperity. 
See, you do it for the, the sake of the unity, of the love, of the, the bond that we have with each other. We don't do it just because it's the right thing to do. It has to come from a heart, an attitude that has changed. Celebrating Christmas can definitely be a high point in your life. Or it can be a low point. I'm perfectly aware that some of you have lost loved ones. And you know what? The holidays are just very intensely, they're a struggle. They're, they're, they're just a, uh, a difficult time. I understand that. But God doesn't want you to be alone. You may think that somehow that's helping you. It's not. He wants you to be with family, with friends. And I guarantee you that's what your loved one would want as well. So I want you to rejoice when you come to the house of the Lord. When you come and you are part of the community of faith here that we celebrate. I want you to rejoice whenever we have a time to get together. Don't look at it as a time, ah, another church thing. I mean, we're very low-key here. I mean, I don't know what some of you folks would do if we, if we were, were very high-program-oriented. Uh, you probably find another church. But anyway, you know, we're not that. We're not that at all. We try to do things with purpose and focused on building up the body of Christ. Um, but we want to rejoice when we gather together because we're committed to love one another. We're committed to live in unity. We're committed to worship God in a true sense, in a true way, in spirit and in truth, and seek peace and the prosperity, not only in our community, from each other as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I just pray that this message, I know it was just kind of fundamental, just kind of base. But I I pray, Lord, that it would be a foundation upon which we could build this Christmas season upon. Lord, if we would just honestly look at our own hearts first. Are we stressing unity within our own hearts? Father, have we sought that unity with you? That, that, That oneness is available through Christ. It was Christ who came and was born of a baby and lived 30-some years on this, on this earth and died a death, not because he was a criminal, but because he was a Savior. And he was willing to pay the price for our sin. And that offer is still there to all who would come and acknowledge Christ as their Lord and their King that he would save them, that he would change their hearts. And Father, that we would also understand what it means to come and to worship you in spirit and truth, that it wouldn't be some sideshow, but it would be something that our hearts are focused on you. And Lord, even with the Christmas time coming up rapidly, Lord, I mean, the stores have been decorated before Halloween this year. It's hard to believe. But Lord, you can look at all the commercialization of Christmas and and just be so mad and so angry, you just lock yourself in your house. Or you know what? You could go out and you could look for ways to turn all those things into venues in which you could share Christ. The celebratory spirit that people have this time of year. I pray that we'd be faithful to share the gospel with them. That we'd point them to the true reason for the celebration of Christmas. And that being Christ. And Father, that we would seek goodwill toward others, that we wouldn't 
just be so concerned about ourselves that we simply don't care. And so, Lord, we pray that these things would be evident in our lives. And, Father, that, that you would perform them through the Spirit of God. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and uh, I'm going to put out our candle here and then we will sing the last song.